Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to After the JAG Corps, navigating your career progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. On the podcast today is Torn Moshovic, a former Navy JAG who did about five years and a couple months on active duty. But actually, before that, this is where I first know him from, was as Lieutenant JG Surface Warfare Officer Mushovic. So, Torrent, welcome to the podcast, man. It's good to see you. Yeah, thanks, Tom. It's been a long time since I uh, flew out to Nimitz to see you while you were the uh, Carrier Strike Group, Jack. But I'm, I'm excited to connect many years later. Yeah, it was, gosh, 2002, 2003. We deployed together. In fact, I just reached out to your former commanding officer today, Captain Ralph Janikowski, down in Memphis, trying to get a hold of him. So, uh, small world. Yeah. So, uh, I probably brought back some bad memories. So, I didn't mean to trigger you there. No, 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 no. I actually, I, I haven't heard the name Captain Janikowski in so long, and I didn't realize he was in Tennessee. But tell him I said hi, and I wish him all the luck. I will. So, Torin, you uh, were in as a surface warfare officer, then you got picked up for the LEP program, legal education program, FLEP for those of you that speak Army. And so you went to law school, correct? And then you came back into the JAG Corps as a judge advocate, right? Uh, So actually, I was a free LEP. I thought I was done with the Navy when I went to law school and then missed the Navy and wanted to come back. And then you realize you didn't miss it that much? That's not true, Tom. No, because I'm still a reservist and I love it. I really, really, you know, the reason why I got off active duty was because my wife, who's from Colorado, her family's in Colorado. We were pregnant in 2012, living in D.C. And my wife wanted to come back to Colorado. Obviously, the Navy jobs in Colorado are slim pickings. My wife's also a lawyer. I should mention that, too. And that was another piece of it. And I don't regret getting out, but I'm I'm so glad that I stayed in the reserves. You know, I always think about like, oh, well, what would life be like if I stayed in? And and I really enjoyed my time in. But I've also really enjoyed being in the reserves and kind of having my foot in both worlds, both in the national national defense, national security, but then also in healthcare. So you did five years, and in that time, as I looked in your LinkedIn profile here, you did the, what we were all doing in that time period, you went to Iraq or Afghanistan, but in your case, you went to Iraq and you were a trial attorney and appellate attorney. So, you know, what was your mindset as you approached transition? How far out did you start looking and what were you targeting in Denver as you looked for that next chapter? Yeah. So my goal was to become an assistant U.S. attorney. That was definitely my primary focus focused my my military judge advocate career on litigation, both in trial and then appellate, and then wanted to make the leap to being an assistant U.S. attorney, preferably in Colorado, like I said, for the reasons of my wife. But we had some flexibility 
of moving to different offices with the hopes of getting hired eventually in Colorado. Colorado is a very popular office for assistant U.S. attorneys. My mentor at the time was Rick Hosley, who is a prior Marine judge advocate who I've had multiple intersections with, but he was uh, the chief of the major crimes unit. And this is during the Great Recession, which was particularly hard in Colorado and for lawyers. Uh, Obviously, it was hard nationwide for lawyers, but it, it was particularly hard in Colorado. There's heavy impact due to the housing downturn. And and at the time, I can't remember if there was a hiring freeze for Sydney U.S. attorneys or it was just very hard because of all of the applicants getting in. I had, you know, some luck getting second interviews or getting interviews and getting second interviews at different districts. But eventually Rick said, you know, try and go go to premier law firm and then, you know, you'll most likely get picked up to be assistant U.S. attorney afterwards. And so, you know, I did that. I started networking pretty hard. I would say like a year out, maybe a year and a half out. I was traveling to Colorado multiple times a month from D.C. to just meet with people and get to know people. And, you know, most of the meetings didn't turn out to do much, but then some would lead to like, oh, you should meet this guy and you should meet this person and meet this woman. And it just kind of opened up the network. Eventually, I I met an individual named Mike Tice, who was an assistant U.S. attorney in Colorado and also was in the Department of Justice in their fraud unit on the criminal side. And he understood judge advocates. He understood government lawyers. And he said, hey, and he was was, at the time he was a partner at uh, Hogan Levels. And he took the risk on me and offered me a job to be, be an associate in the internal investigation litigation division of Hogan, which kind of opened up a new world for me. But yeah, that's how I made the first job. And then from there, multiple doors kind of just opened up into kind of growing into new experiences. So let's talk about that a little bit in the sense of what was your confidence level when you started with Hogan Levels? You know, I'm looking at here, you were helping out with litigation stuff. I'm I'm sure you weren't the number one right away, but you were looks like you were supporting with the drafting and the research and those kind of things, which you had the experience with the Navy. But then I look at, you know, the internal investigations and False Claims Act and anti-kickback statute investigations, SEC testimony. What was it like ramping up in those new areas of the law? It was probably the scariest experience of my professional career, making the leap to go from the military to private practice. You know, litigation is not, you know, criminal litigation is so much different than civil litigation. It is a totally different world. And then also the bodies of laws were brand new to me, obviously. The False Claims Act and a kickback statute, never even heard of them before. So, and they're very, they're pretty complicated regulatory frameworks. So the learning curve was very high. And then you're also competing against all these attorneys who have been in this world longer than you. So it's pretty intimidating, but also you got to rely on the skills that you learn in the JAG court. For me, specifically interviewing people, that's where I kind of shine compared to my peers. Most of the junior attorneys at any law firm have never met with a witness, never met with clients. And that's where I was able to kind of shine and be able to kind of like stand on my own. But the body of the substantive law was very challenging and you had to like really jump in and learn all of that. I do think the thing about you know, if you are choosing to go into private practice, I think one of the greatest things about Hogan and be something that I would advise anyone to do is really like get to know how collaborative the law firm is. Luckily, Hogan was very collaborative 
law firm. And I was kind of an odd duck coming from the military because once you leave the military, you'll see that only you know less than 1% of the population has been in the military. So the, your interaction with folks, they've never been in the military and there met anyone been in the military. That doesn't mean they're anti-military. They're all very supportive of the military, at least the people that I came across, but they don't necessarily know how you fit into their, into their buckets of the life. Sure. And you know, it's a lot different than the post-World War II generation where everyone served. But I think what what I thought was very beneficial was embracing my military service and talking about it a lot in a, you know very positive ways with folks. And I really got you know it always opened up the doors to additional conversations. And if that was with a partner, then that got me more work. Or if it was with a client, it was an interesting talking point that I'm that I was able to use, and I still use that today in order to kind of be able to build bridges with people. I see you went on after a couple of years, you went on to Wheeler Trig O'Donnell where you were an associate and it looked like you got more, well, you got involved with products, liability and commercial issues. Again, these are things that we don't do in the JAG core. And I recognize that I have several years on you. So you were probably still young enough to more brain cells left, I guess, than, than a guy like me. I think I've drank more beer than you, but it looks like you kind of continued to round out your practice, build up a, a record with now you have two firms with this non-military law practice that you're able to, to now leverage in your resumes instead of that risk that the first guy took on you. Yeah, I think what what I did at Wheeler was kind of build off Hogan and continued in the healthcare space. Hogan's practice was more false claims and a kickback statute. I did get my foot in the door with some antitrust work at Wheeler, which is beneficial, but still with the healthcare practice. I, I got introduced to healthcare at Hogan and got to understand that industry and tried to stay within the healthcare practice. At Wheeler, or Wheeler's got a very large healthcare practice. They they represent some Fortune 500 healthcare companies, but they're more focused on the litigation, like actual litigation. Where Hogan, a lot of those cases tend to settle because they're national cases, very large cases with a huge amount of exposure on them. Wheeler's cases are a little bit smaller, and and those tend to actually go into you know more in depth litigation. I mean, most of the stuff kind of settles, but you can you have an opportunity to actually do depositions, and they push a lot of that work onto junior associates and senior associates. And there's also a big military contingency prior jags at Wheeler, so it was relationships that I built in Denver that kind of led to that transition. But it's good that I stayed focused on healthcare because then I pivoted and went in-house and had an opportunity to help out a company that was small, but was looking to sell. So I kind of came in, left litigation completely and kind of took an entrepreneurial role where I was the chief operating officer and compliance officer. But my real job was to help prepare AminoE health and research centers in its ability to sell and it's in the regulatory space of, you know, it's a physician practice and looking at selling to a corporation. And that's where the False Claims Act and a kickback statute comes into play because it's basically in any type of entrepreneurial opportunity or in healthcare, you're very worried about referring patients because patients can't be treated as a commodity under a federal regulation. So you have to be very careful about how you're dealing with 
the purchase of a physician practice as the physician is the controlling entity of how those patients get referred around. Is that where you got into mergers and acquisitions that you referred to before the podcast or was that later? Yeah, absolutely. So I did two mergers. Well, first we started a company called Veros Health, which now I mean, we, Health and Research Centers is operating under Veros Health because it was purchased later, which, which we can talk about. So first we started a company between uh, Dr. Melamed, who was the owner of Minoe Health and Research Centers, and Solio Health, which is my current employer. And basically this is like a new way of looking at healthcare where both the physician and the specialty pharmacy was in one company. And you can now treat those patients both in the physician practice and then at home, which was obviously very important post-COVID because prior those patients were getting these immune deficiency infusions in the hospital setting. And during COVID, we saw you know, a lot of immune deficient patients didn't want to get infusions in a hospital setting because there's so many diseases there. So they were looking in the home setting or in the physician setting. And this was a, one of the first companies in the United States that we know of where it was kind of a, a multiple opportunities of site of care to treat these patients. We started that in 2016. There was many ups and downs with starting any company. There's a lot of things that we had to learn, including like working together and how we were going to do it. it. Took us about four years, and then we eventually rolled Amino E into Averos Health, and then also Solio Health's Colorado operations. We also rolled into Veros Health. Then I became the compliance officer for Solio Health, which was the purchaser, or which was uh, uh, the major partner of Veros Health. You know, I'm thinking here, you're a younger man than me, which is not bad, but, you know, the point that you're willing to take these professional risks, and I think, you know, the older you get, I guess the more risk adverse you become, folks like my age are wanting something that gives them the money to pay the bills. But I want to talk about compliance. Did you find compliance, I hear this from other people, that compliance is a natural fit for people that have served as SJAs? Yeah, I think it's very comparable. So compliance, and obviously every industry has, you know, what does compliance mean is, you know, industry specific, but I would say in the healthcare setting, and one, compliance is a growing field. There's a lot of opportunities in there. You only see healthcare growing and you also see a lot of consolidation in healthcare. And then there's also more regulations coming out every year on the federal level and now also on the state level, we see states that are increasing their regulatory body on healthcare companies and also privacy. So there is, there's a tremendous amount of jobs that are opening up in the healthcare compliance world. And these are anything, you know, there, there's non, non-attorneys, there's paralegals, and then there's attorneys that are all in, the, in this compliance world, not to mention that obviously the government regulators that are also sure. uh, hiring because they're they're building, I mean, if you look at Department of Justice settlements or collections in under the False Claims Act or the Anti-Kickback Statute, which most are healthcare related, you will see that they increase exponentially for the last 20 years. So the government is increasing, and then also the private sector is increasing in order to make sure that they don't run afoul of all these regulations. So it's it's a it's a booming area, it's a booming practice area, and and there's a lot of jobs. Did I answer your question? I kind of I, I think so. And, you know, you actually, as I'm listening to you, you know, the fact that you pointed out the DOJ and the regulators, I mean, we were talking beforehand, 
that, you know, my preference is I want to try something new. But I have had a friend advise that, hey, you know, look at DOJ in some capacity. And you kind of just reinforce that, though, you didn't know you were doing it in the sense that you go do a couple of years of DOJ, you're not making bad money, you might not be as much as you want, but then you're able to roll that into another experience, for example, maybe in on the other side uh, of somebody that you were once regulating, not a conflict of interest, but stepping away and doing it the right way. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I think you answered the question, but you also gave me sort of a, a different tack to take as I, as I get ready to go over the side that even going in-house to government doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to finish your legal professional career whenever that is as an in-house, as a government attorney. I think the thing that I learned since leaving active duty, which is now 10 years, I think like 10 years as of today, maybe it was July, uh, January 3rd that I got off terminal leave 2013, is that you have to be flexible. And in the civilian world, there's a lot of movement. And there's a lot of movement between the private sector and government. So, you know, I I think the best way to get into at least healthcare compliance is either you go to a law firm and in a law firm, you're on the other side of the DOJ or you're at the DOJ because all of the cases that I, while I was at Hogan were against the Department of Justice. We did a lot of internal investigations. So I think that's like the, and potentially other regulated regulators too, HHS would be one, but those would be like kind of the foot in the door on how to get in, in-house would be kind of going those two routes. You're either defending the companies against the regulators or you're a regulator yourself, but then you have to be very open to opportunities once you you know, once you get into your first job or your second job, there's just, you know, opportunities come up and you have to be very flexible, but you do have to take a risk, right? I think there is a risk in the private sector, you know, compared to the government sector and you have to be okay with that risk. And sometimes, you know, on the mergers and acquisition side, I don't only see companies downsizing, you know, I see companies consolidating and then yeah. what, ha- and there's a lot of pressure on employees when that happens. And, you know, after the consolidation, what happens with all of the employees? Do you internalize them, which is stressful, or do you not internalize them? And I think there's a lot of stresses with that, that you don't necessarily see in, in the military and, and in the government. But if you're okay with that, and, and especially, you know, with you, because you'd also be able to rely on your retirement for us in the reserves, yeah, you know, if yeah. anything ever, if there's ever layoffs, you know, people go back on the reserves and get orders. I think that's kind of the luck that we have with our military experience and our financial viabilities that we can kind of lean on other opportunities if we do get into to, to a problem. Luckily, I haven't experienced those yet, but I don't know what the future holds for Yeah. Me. The other question for you is, you know, I'll sometimes look at one ads, you know, they come over on LinkedIn or whatnot, and you'll see just like companies that you're working for, healthcare, stuff you need. And, you know, my first inclination is I don't have any experience in healthcare whatsoever. And I tend to gloss over those. And maybe, maybe that's the wrong approach. Maybe it is making the argument of, hey, this track record of continuous learning, I can learn what you guys need, you know, and you need that one former judge advocate who's willing to say, yeah, I know that this guy or gal can do that. And I'm willing to take them on and try it. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely true. And and all of this stuff is is learnable, right? As long as you have the time to be able to do it. It's in, it intellectual curiosity. And I think that is a way to approach it. And that's what I did at Hogan. When I interviewed there, I remember saying like, 
you know, while I may not know about this area of the law, these are the skills that I build as a judge advocate and I would apply it and I would learn, you know, A, B, C, and D. You know, I would say though, the one thing I've never had luck with applying to a job or a posting online, that has never worked for me. And I'm not, I wouldn't advise anyone not to do it because now it's, you know, very easy to do. So it doesn't take too much time. You can do it through LinkedIn really quickly, but I wouldn't rely on that. All of the jobs I've received since the Jaguar was because of a personal interaction, right? So it took Mike Tice to take that the risk on hiring me the first time, but then everything else after that was people that I knew, that I yeah. worked with, that knew who I was. For instance, you know, my job now at Solar Health, I told you that we, we built a company together. We went through a merger and acquisition together. That was very, very stressful. But through that process, the chief executive, the, the general counsel, the chief commercial officer, the chief operating officer, all of these folks knew who I was, knew how you know I operate, have dealt with me for four years. And I and I, I was actually looking at leaving because I was a little stressed. You know, when you do a mergers and acquisition and you're the lawyer who led the, the negotiation, I was a little stressed on okay, how are they going to perceive me on the other end? Because I want I'm trying to get as most for my client as I can in yeah. this transaction. And I also want to protect myself and have a job afterwards, but I can't let my personal interests conflict with what I need to give my client. So I also looked at, you know, maybe potentially going uh, back to a law firm. The two attorneys on, on this deal were me and a buddy of mine from Hogan who uh, went to a regional firm and is now a partner at a regional firm. And through that connection, they offered me a partnership to build up a healthcare practice that they didn't have. Now, this was in 2000. I was very worried about building a practice without the ability to network traditionally because we were going through COVID. And then also Solio offered me this job. So I turned down the law firm job in the most gentle way possible because I want that opportunity in the future. But I am glad that I did turn that down job down because I know other attorneys that made rotations during COVID and said like it was very hard to build a practice during that time because the, you're just not meeting with people. And it would have been particularly hard with me because I would have had virtually no clients to bring in. Hmm. So I, I'm glad I didn't make that move. But so, yeah, I think you you have to take risks. I think networking for me were, was the most important thing. But then you also have to be open to, to experiences. And then and also just be mindful of educating folks on what we do as judge advocates because yeah. they don't know, but also understand like how do you parlay that into their world is very important. But it's very easy to do once you understand like whatever industry you're targeting. You're saying, okay, well, these are the basic skills. I see that. Now, how do I explain my experience to what these folks know? And I think once you once you kind of do that a couple of times, you learn how it works. But but I can't emphasize enough. Networking is the most important thing because it's yeah. a people relationship. I was gonna say the whole part about educating people on what judge advocates do. I forget where I was, but it was relatively recently. And I was, I said, well, I'm studying for the bar. You know, I was a JAG and I'm studying for the bar. And he said, oh, but you're going to become a lawyer. And I'm like, well, <laughs> technically I've been a lawyer for 30 years. And, and I, you know, I, but, you know, the things that we assume they don't necessarily get. Hey, Torn, you know, we're, I'm looking at the time and it's getting short, but what other things do you recommend? 
Yeah. So I think the one thing, so obviously I've talked about networking and I think you have to throw that net out very, very far. And I think it all, it doesn't only include Navy judge advocates. It also includes obviously other services, judge advocates, but you also have to be mindful of lawyers with military time. Those are also folks who have been very helpful in my career. There's so many folks that have left the military, gone to law school, and then did something else afterwards. And you should be definitely targeting those folks because they understand what judge advocates do and they understand our importance. And, and I, think, I think that's another subset of people that I've definitely included in my network after leaving the military. And it's been very helpful to me. And, and, and for junior folks that reach out to me, I think everyone, everyone with prior military experience whether it's Jaguar or not Jaguar, are very helpful and want everyone to succeed out there, like make sure that we're continuing to get jobs and continue to succeed in, in whatever we choose to do. Torn, it's, it's funny, as you were talking here, I just think back to 2002, 2003, when I first got to know you. I knew you before you become a lawyer. I now have been fortunate enough to kind of observe you from afar. It looks like you're doing great things. and taking risks and being on some exciting stuff. And it's, it's really, it's really exciting to see even from my vantage point. So I congratulate you and I wish you and your wife and your company's continued success. Thanks, Tom. And, and it just dawned on me, I was studying for the LSAT when, uh, when during that deployment and now you're studying for the bar. So even though it's 20 years later, Yeah, I tell you what, I I gave up drinking through the week and I wish I would have gone the other way and maybe maybe study for the bar on the weekend and drink through the week. That was that was a mistake I made, but we'll get through it. Good luck. Good luck in your transition. And I think your podcast is great and I'm excited on all of its success. Well, it's only great because the guys like you give up their time. So we appreciate it, Torin. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.